Welcome to Re-Review, where we watch movies from our past with a perspective from today. Your hosts are Matt, Bobby, and Austin, and we love the films from our youth, so we're taking a look back to see if they still hold up. This is the final episode of Nick Cage Month, and it has been a ride. If you haven't listened yet, please go back and check out the first three episodes where we re-reviewed Gone in 60 Seconds, National Treasure, and It Can Happen to You. Now, our fourth and final episode was selected by a randomizer, and we watched Knowing. It was released in 2009, directed by Alex Proyas, stars Nick Cage, Chandler Canterbury, and Rose Byrne. This movie has Nick Cage living out his Nostradamus dreams. Now, this is a fair warning. We're spoiling a 13-year-old movie, so if you haven't seen it, we will be revealing key plot points. Since none of us actually chose this, I'm going to start it a bit different. I want to ask, Bobby, have you seen this film before? I have not seen it before, no. How about you, Matt? First time for me. So, Bobby, what were your expectations? Like, did you have any idea what this was going to be about, or were you just coming in clean slate? No, I I was pretty clean slate. I mean, I I knew that there was going to be some kind of mystery aspect to it and kind of like to solve a puzzle, but that was it. Matt? I think about the same thing. Like I knew, the only things I knew about it was it was a Nick Cage movie and it was about some sort of like future predicting thing. I think I kept getting this movie and next confused. Um, which is another movie about where like Nick Cage can see five seconds in the future or something. Oh, I feel like we should watch next just to compare <laughs> next the future uh, future Nick Cage work here. The um, uh, same same for me. You know, I think you both had described what this was going to be. I was fully convinced this is going to be Nick Cage can totally see the future, and we were probably going to have some weird, crazy things going on. And it didn't end up being anything like that. Uh, my first surprising thing is eight minutes before we actually got to see Nick Cage in the film. So let's kind of talk about the creepy intro we were presented with, with the uh, very ring-like young lady who was there to, I think, creep us out. Did that setup get you at all, Matt? Uh, hmm. You know, it's weird. It it didn't have Nick Cage in it. I don't necessarily think you have to have Nick Cage at the very beginning for it to draw you in. I How think the premise. Well, I mean, look at National Treasure. It's like Nick we Cage didn't see <laughs> we didn't see Nick Cage until about the same amount of time because you saw young Nick Cage and the story was being told and everything oh, else. True, true, true. Um, I mean, I think that it did what it's supposed to do. I think that it set up the premise. Well, I guess I didn't really set up the premise. It, it acted the way it's supposed to in movies where it set up the uh, inciting incident that the rest of the movie kind of relied on to an extent. About three-fourths of the way through the movie, I feel like what happened at the beginning didn't really matter anymore. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that it kind of went off on its own tangent. And I actually have a thought about the beginning of this that later on I was like, wait, why did that even really happen? Um, <laughs> but... I don't know. It, it was fine. I guess I, you know, it kind of had horror vibes to it, to be honest. It I totally mean, had yeah, horror vibes. And I feel yeah. like they kept throwing in those little bit of elements. So uh, for anyone listening, doesn't know what we're talking about. We were introduced to a character who basically is, is writing all these numbers down on a piece of paper back in 1959. And they locked this thing away in, in its own little, uh, what did they call those time capsules? Time capsule. For the school yeah. to reopen, you know, 50, 50 years, years later. later. And uh, and they, of course, do it. And it's Nick Cage's son who who gets this letter from 
the girl who had the vision who wrote all these strange numbers who was predicting things that were happening in the future and hilarity ensues bobby were you were you good with all that one of the problems with with mysteries for me is that there's kind of two parts to it right like there's there's trying to get to the point to where you know like trying to get enough information to get the mystery going and then for me like sometimes if it doesn't get there i'm kind of like okay like i wish it would just get there faster so that the movie can actually start because like sometimes it's like the puzzle doesn't come together like fast enough for me hey well I know this movie was already above your 90 minute mark in terms of time length. So I think you were looking for a little bit of extra pacing there, huh? Yeah, I for sure was. But I mean, that's kind of like the pitfalls of these movies is, you know, learning a little bit of it as you go to kind of like understand the idea where, you know, like I kind of, you know, more enjoy like everything that's presented to me and I kind of know what kind of movie this is. And then, okay, like, let's just watch what they can do with it as opposed to like oh like we don't know anything like what does all this mean we don't know yet yeah i mean there's an element here to me that felt like this could be a tv show or at least the way they were pacing it like these are little half hour snippets uh, this you know we probably could have taken a break and uh we'll come back and watch the next half hour in a week and be caught up with what's happening in the story um it felt to me like they were Okay, here's the thing. This was a bit more sci-fi than I expected, yeah? Even though it was a yeah. bit horror? Yeah. I, I, Definitely I, towards the end. Yeah. Yeah, I was not uh, in my head with what it was presenting. I thought it would be the kind of earth torture uh, that we tended to see around films of this time. Because wasn't this when all the films that were coming out about the world basically being destroyed by yeah, like every which way of environmental and, stuff? Yeah. Like the movie about the the ending of the Aztec calendar means like the world's going to end. So there's like all this prediction drama. Mm -hmm. I I do find it weird. Mm -hmm. Well, I was going to say the there was some similarities to other films. and, And the one that really seemed to hit after we get introduced to Nick Cage figuring out that these numbers on the piece of paper were tied to significant event events where there was a large loss of human life. And it started to feel kind of Final Destination-y. Yeah, it was definitely a mix of Final Destination, uh, 2012, and Signs. It very much had that with a little bit of, you know, Sixth Sense, right? Um, yeah, it's when you really think about it, it's kind of a weird movie in that sense because, like, they... I know it actually kind of predates a couple of those. Um, a couple, you know, I also had kind of a Da Vinci code vibe mm-hmm. at the beginning yeah. with, with, with the whole number exploration exploration. Yeah. And I, I kind of felt that they kind of did a disservice to the movie as a result of that, because it did feel like a hodgepodge of different things. The fact that you do go from a somewhat horror esque, like you could take that beginning and it could be the beginning of a horror movie easily. Yeah, completely. Um, you yeah, could have yeah. had it so that like they never found the girl or whatever, and that was where it cut back to the fifty years later, and that totally I would have been. Thought that's where they were going to go with it. Yeah, it, so it could have. It could have. That's why I thought they were spending the eight minutes on the front of it was because they're going to go back there. Like 
I thought maybe this would be like some weird time travel situation where they needed to fix something that happened in 1959 to make the future, you know, like a back to the future kind of situation or something. The parents, the parents actually hook up at the under the sea dance. <laughs> it wasn't even close to that, uh, unfortunately, or maybe fortunately. I don't know. Either which way. So Nick Nick Cage plays John Costler. Did they ever say his last name in the movie? I can't even pronounce I, it here. Probably not. So did you, was he a believable MIT professor? I feel like, Bobby, you might have some comments on that. <laughs> there, there's a face Bobby's making right now. <laughs> you can hear it through the audio. I, I think one of the difficulties about having university professors and just movies in general is that the story needs to be told in a compact, easy to absorb way. And... A lot of times, these kind of scenes play to me like, I'm a professor. Let me show you why I'm a professor. Look, I'm teaching. Look, I'm doing professor things. Look, I'm joking with my friend about tenure and peer review. And look, I'm a professor. But it's more an avenue to tell the story and less reading to me like a real life kind of situation. And unfortunately, I felt like there was a number of that kind of stuff like in the very very beginning when they had the teacher she's kind of like explaining the story of why we're seeing this she says as you all know we're having the 50th anniversary today kids yay you know it's like it's not what a teacher would say really it's a way to tell the story and it's a little bit unfortunate i think but I think there was that element of even watching him lead a classroom of what are, in theory, very highly educated students on some pretty uh, basic astronomy, yeah? Yeah, and then there's the scene where he pulls out his university ID like it's an FBI badge. I'm an MIT professor. Yeah. I mean, that's classic. But that actually, you just sold me on that scene even more now that you just did that. Let's let's kind of get into what happens there with um. You know, all this kind of goes down. He figures out what these numbers mean because his kid got the the letter with the numbers on it. He freaks out over it. um, And we get the big scene where the first tragic event happens. And it's this airport or airport. Wow. Airplane crash that comes across the freeway and into this field. And then things get a little weird with the way it was shot. And it seemed like it was lost footage. What? What's going on there, Matt? You know, it's funny because uh, looking it up, they were fairly proud of that sequence and they they intentionally wanted it to feel real and gritty and they didn't want to have cut sequences. So that's the reason why they ended up doing a single take. I think they said it took them two days to set up and two days to actually film the take. Oh, was the whole thing a wonder? I didn't notice that. I think once once the crash happens, I think it cuts to a, a, a one take from I think f- from the plane crash hitting to probably like him being pulled away by the the rescue workers showing up. Um, I to me the, I think that's where um, it kind of lost me in the movie. I think there is a way that it could have been done a little bit more subtly. I think it was a little bit too much. They did some zooms, like some some like crash zooms and some mm-hmm. other things. And to me, it just drew a little tiny too much attention to the, the camera work. 
but but here's my problem with it. It was it was written into the script as an action beat, right? And so they put him in the middle of it. He didn't know about the location stuff yet. He just he happened to be there, and late, like afterwards, he makes some comment. Oh, I think I was supposed to be there. Mm-hmm. Like somehow these numbers instructed him to be there, but what really put him there was the script. They needed yeah, that action right. sequence to happen because somebody probably said this happened on a TV screen. That was boring. What if he was there? Yeah. But mm-hmm. they didn't want to commit to the geolocation stuff yet. So and he acted as the first responder. Like that alone was the part that I was going, why are you the one who's running into this thing where people are running out of a plane on fire and you're acting like you could do something. You're an MIT professor. Yeah, that was weird. I want to back up just a little bit, though, to some of the prior scenes about him discovering that those were events and people dying and the numbers meant that it was like a tragic event. I actually thought that that reveal was kind of interesting. And it kind of, in my mind, like opened up the idea of like, okay, like I could see where this story can go and get really interesting and go in a lot of different ways from here. But did it actually do that for you? Well, <laughs> not so much. But I mean, what was interesting is that it they it now was a man on a mission because up until this point, he was kind of just, uh, I don't want to, you know, be flippant about it, but he was kind of mopey about his, his wife dying, right? So now he's got like a purpose, right? Mopey, so, wow. Get over <laughs> your, I don't even know. Did they even really claim like when it happened? No. I, I guess I assumed I it was like recent, but like they, they didn't really like date it at all, as far as I'm aware. Yeah, I would assume it's recent too, but I mean, it Bobby's is... like, get over it, get over, it. get over your dead wife. Right. Your, your, well, I mean, it's your a hotel bad... burned to death wife. It's a pretty bad movie trope where if there's ever a single dad, it's because the wife died, and then if there's a single mom, it's whatever reason that happens in real life, you know. Well, t- t- well, that was so. inside the movie with, no, with Rose's this is character. Perfect, because uh, so you talk about him being a man on a mission. Let's talk about him finding a a uh, a relationship in the film, if we have to call it one, with Rose uh, Burns' character Diana. Um, you know, f- creepily following her to the museum sets up his kid as honestly the perfect pickup line. It could have been a puppy the way he approached this, but then he turns into the MIT police and completely accosts her um there was no way that could have ever went down good right no not not right i well i don't this this is kind of the weird part about this movie is there is this awkward way that they wrote his character like i get it it's nick cage and if you've seen any of his movies during this time period between 2008 and i don't know modern movies he always has this awkwardness to him um, that I feel like lends itself to these kind of interactions. Um, I think a really good example of uh, something that, you know, we've all kind of seen recently was the Adam project with Mark Ruffalo's mm-hmm. character as a, like I buy that as a, as a professor. Right. And I, mm-hmm. I, I buy the kind of eccentric mm-hmm. nature to him and I get Nick Cage is kind of eccentric, but um, I think the thing that kind of made, that interaction and a lot of stuff that happens during this movie kind of weird is I, I don't fully understand why he's so driven 
to to do what he does, even to decode the numbers in the first place. He's mm-hmm. strangely driven to do that, and he's strangely like very like like I get this was after the plane crash, so he has some vindication, right, that he is correct in this, but it still gives him this weird like Nick Cage crazy edge that I, I don't know if this movie actually earned compared to well, like other he movies goes he's from in. Talking about his essential uh, existential crisis that he permanently has and tells his students, you know, nothing really matters. And you're absolutely right. Then he turns into this absolutely matters and I have to figure this out. It's it it is pretty much a change that doesn't well, it's Nick Cage. It's it's that means it's perfect. Come on, man. I guess I guess it's the the uh there wasn't i guess a uh, a build up to the nick cageness i feel like all of a sudden he started getting really manic and i don't know yeah, if it was necessarily deserved totally within this movie but how that se- these... that sequence was weird i'll i'll say that much i mean this is one that felt off and bobby i'll have you speak to this how about the parent to children relationship that they presented in the film to be honest the the parent relationship kind of bothered me a lot Uh, I mean, it was clear that from the story's point of view that the kids were very involved in the story, right? You know, like from Nick Cage being single and having his son and Rose Byrne being single and having her daughter, I thought, okay, great. This is a great opportunity for the four of them to become a team and kind of figure out the plan together. But... Mm-hmm. At every turn, they rudely sidelined all the kids, even though it was really obvious. Every which way they could. Yeah, it was really obvious that the kids were really part of, and, you know, like, obviously this was, like, for story purposes. To It was all about Nick Cage's character to, to push his character, his, like, arc forward and to, for for the story. But, I mean, it just kind of bothered me the way that, the kid the kid and nick cage interacted like there was some scenes where in particular that bothered me where the kid comes to his father saying hey father i see that in our relationship we are having a disconnect i would like to fix it and spend time with you and talk to you and work out our problems and dad is like oh no like go away you have homework to do we're good i want that robotic like and that happened a whole that happened i'm i'm like paraphrasing this to plot points and not (laughs) actual dialogue so but at every turn he was just like no kid go away like leave me alone like in front of him saying like oh you're not part of this right now like go away and it just bothered me. Like, I mean, from writing 101, I'm not a great writer, but if I was writing a story and I wanted to make a likable character, I would make a character that loves his child and goes out of the way for his child. Like, his child comes to him and says, Hey, Dad, I need your help. The dad drops everything and helps the kid instead of, No, kid, go away. Like, it just. I would say, like, I think that's good. I think the the alternate's fine, too, that he disliked his kid or he saw, I don't know, his mom his mom's face in the kid or whatever, right? And so it was painful to see the kid. This movie, to me, tried to present it, Nick Cage's mm-hmm. both ways, that he somehow had a great relationship with his son, 
or at least he thought he did and that they were perfectly fine. But then, yeah, he was like, shoo, shoo, you're in the way. Go to bed. Go to bed, you. Like, it seemed like he wanted it both ways for some reason. He definitely did, without without question. Um, we talked earlier about this kind of being a mismatch of different ideas, and they had the horror elements. The Whisper people, did you feel their creepiness and their vibe? And we'll talk about what they turned into at the end. But I, I'm not going to lie. There was, what, one or two jump scares that got me in the movie? Damn them. Yeah, there's for sure one that, like, made my heart stop for a second. I was like, oh, that was scary. But then, like, I'm sure if I watched it over again without any the key part music, is without any audio, whatever, it's just a guy, like, walking by or something. Like, but, yeah, no, that, like, it, it was it was genuinely creepy. I mean, I could have yeah, done without the true. trench coats, though. Yeah, I mean, like, I mean. I don't really, know. Like, I don't know why they always put them in black trench coats yeah, every time. Yeah. I mean, it was. It was like a total misdirect, like trying to get them to like, it's like, oh, are they the government? Oh, like, do they know something? Like, are they trying to help? Are they trying to impede? Like, what are they? You know, like, and, and I've, I just kept thinking like, oh, like, I hope these aren't like men in black, but not the like good <laughs> Will Smith kind, like the bad, like we're coming to like take you away and put you in a. JSL yeah, I totally thought X Files like type. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Imagining that yeah. weird uh, X Files sped up car that reverses in and out that they would always show when the MIB would show up. Uh, <laughs> no, I mean, and you're right. They what's the guy's name? Like Mister Black or whatever. And <laughs> I think maybe this is sort of the wrinkle here with how much we know the kids were involved as part of what the eventual processes or what they wanted from these kids. But we never got to spend time in that because it was so much about the adults who were just like, let me freak out in my own world. And as you said, push the kids away for most of the things that they needed to participate in. Hence, you know, you think of the the whisper people coming around the vehicle with the two kids in the car and they were actually being very accepting of it until the son was like, well, maybe I should alert my parents. Maybe I should let them know that we've got about six people coming around us actually four uh to uh take us away on a special vehicle so let's run through we we have a few events we get the train crash in new york and then we get the discovery that this is all coming down to a big solar sun event in the sky that's going to remove our ozone layer and the earth is going to burn to a crisp um okay cool most of the time you think to yourself well how are they going to figure this out they're going to find a way to figure this out well this flipped on its head and all of a sudden it became a total total movie about bible stuff was was anyone ready for that because i think i ended up being surprised i know i saw some imagery early on but i was like i'm gonna ignore this imagery oh they fully bought into it yeah they had the image the armageddon imagery all over the place yeah they brought in the fact that he was like having difficulty with his faith and his dad was a pastor yeah from the get-go and and I think I just wanted to ignore that because I wanted to believe his side, which was none of this is important and it's inconsequential. And then they went full on, oh, this is uh, Ezekiel's wheel and these are angels and they are taking the children away to start an entirely new planet. Um, that is a, that is a way, it probably makes this movie unique is uh, instead of the humans figuring out a way to survive it, it's no, no, the alien sky gods come down and take us away to start new planets. We talked about how in the beginning of the movie, we got all these vibes from other movies, you know, like the disaster movies and, you know, the horror movies. But the end to me was completely out of 
close encounters mm-hmm. of the third kind. Like it, it really like mirrored that to me with the opposite situation of instead of in that movie, instead of the kids going with the alien, it was the dad going. So it's like, hmm, like this seems like it's almost like homage or like intentional. And even some of the musical cues sounded familiar to me. And the ship was definitely like similar to me. And even like the way the aliens are presented at the end, I was like, hmm, like this seems a little yeah, bit it was coincidental totally to me. I mean, at the end of the day, they were given a throwback that ultimately who we are here, well, we came from aliens. Are you cool with that? <laughs> I mean, I, I I have an issue with it thematically because I feel like it's very like homeocentric, right? Like why would an alien come from their civilization to take us? Why do we have what it takes to like this body? My back hurts right now because I've been sitting too long. This body is not good enough. I don't understand why like humans are, why we're so like homeocentric to think that aliens would come from another planet and take us because we're the perfect species. And then, oh, we're the ones who need to do it. It's we're like, going to have I don't, another I don't conversation understand. about why we are the center of the universe, Bobby. We could save that for offline the podcast. <laughs> No, I mean, like, it's, it just seems like, it just seems off-putting to me. Like, I don't, I don't understand, like, why, why there's so many movies like that. But it's very much, uh, tied into like Chariots of the Gods, right? You know, the idea of like, okay, well, is, is all religion Mm -hmm. based off of just Mm -hmm. aliens, right? In that aspect. So if you look at it from the religious point of view, a lot of people look forward to the end times, right? And the whole Left Behind also featuring Nick Cage. Um, type movies out there, so it very much ties into aliens that. Aliens love it. Fest just is what this really was. Uh, Matt, are you recommending this movie? No, Definitive not at all. No. I think that the first half of the movie could have it could have been. I think the first half of it was interesting. I think once they introduced the uh, the apocalypse aspect, I just kind of got lost. So no. Bobby, I think it was interesting. I think it 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 went it and went in ways that I wasn't expecting. I mean, Matt like was guessing every single thing completely right. Like halfway through it, he's like, "Oh, these are aliens. Oh, like oh, this is what's gonna happen. Like I don't know. This guy's got some kind of like movie future in his head. You know, aliens are giving him. I I mean, I I I go into a trance and I start writing numbers and it just predicts movies. You know, (laughs) it's like what are those? Oh, those are the like timestamp of the movie. Like, I mean, I thought it was a entertaining watch. So yes, you're telling someone they should pick this one up. Absolutely, do it. (laughs) I love it. The hesitation was there. You all heard it here. (laughs) Hesitation from Bobby. Um, it is a it is a different type of film. It it is a sludge for two hours. It kind of hurts, and it's a little bit hard to watch for that reason. If they maybe picked up the pace, kind of tighten some of the things. Um, some good ideas are there, and heck, it's Nick Cage. That's that's your reason. Uh, If it wasn't Nick Cage, maybe don't maybe don't watch this one. Well. Thank you so much for staying with us for Nick Cage Month. As always, we appreciate you listening and remember to ask yourself, what happens when the numbers run out?